Hello, everybody, anyone who's listening, uh, anyone who's watching it, thank you. Um, I am here with a very interesting person, Charles Patty. I met you at like a Southwest Florida Inc. event very quickly, found out you did IV ketamine treatment, which blew my mind. I had so many questions. I remember I said to you, I was like, I have so many questions, but I'm not going to ask them just yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> my understanding with the ketamine was that ketamine was a horse tranquilizer, turned illicit drug, turned... Well, I just thought it was at least a horse tranquilizer that people would take all the time. But you're saying that it's used to treat PTSD, anxiety, depression. How? I guess was my first question. <laughs> okay, so ketamine is actually a dissociative anesthetic. And it was FDA approved as an anesthetic on human beings in 1970. It's really? the safest, least toxic anesthetic on the market. So it's, yes, it is used on animals as well because of the safety profile. It's actually that safe. Like cats, for instance, there's really no other anesthetics that you can use on a cat without it dying, like without it killing the cat, but you mm. can use ketamine on cats. Ketamine's actually so safe that they use it on children for surgeries that are like one and a half years and older. Really? Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So that, that I guess that's the quickest way to debunk anything. Um, so with it, cause I remember we were chatting about it and you were saying a lot of stuff like I'm, I'm aware of MDMA treatment with PTSD. I've seen a few small things on that. Um, so, is there a similarity between the ketamine treatment and MDMA treatment or is it completely different? I mean, they're both used for therapeutic value and for a therapeutic purpose, but ketamine's very different. Like ketamine's not classified as a psychedelic. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about psychedelic Just therapy. Just make sure you're right. Sorry. Yep, sorry. No, yeah. So, this so thing is super directional. Okay. No, yeah. So, so we're, 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 we specialize in psychedelic ketamine therapy at Myself Wellness and that's our facility. And there's a difference between regular ketamine therapy and psychedelic ketamine therapy. We're talking about a different dosing protocol. Um, we actually, we offer IV ketamine therapy, but we really specialize in intermuscular shots of the medicine. This yeah, is, okay. th this is because people get into these therapeutic dreamlike states or psychedelic experiences when they're in a disassociated state. And when all of the medicine hits somebody's system at one time through a shot, it really gives them this, they sends them into this disassociated state. Now, when we're talking about MDMA and ketamine, like I said, ketamine is not classified as a psychedelic. It's a dissociative. And the difference is, is that your typical psychedelic compounds like psilocybin mushrooms and MDMA, they work on the serotonin receptors in the brain. Ketamine actually works on the NMDA receptors in the brain. So this is, it's, it's very different because Ketamine's actually going in and whenever we've had any kind of traumatic experiences in our life or even just through the course of life, our neuropathways get damaged. And when the neurons are trying to flow through these pathways, they start bouncing off the walls, which mm -hmm. actually will cause depression, anxiety, PTSD, and a string of other things. Ketamine's going in and physiologically remapping and restructuring these neuropathways, actually sprouting something called new dendrites off of them. And this is causing new neuroplasticity or new neuroconnections in the brain. 
It's also going and turning on the receptor in the brain that creates dopamine. Dopamine's our feel-good chemical. It's what makes us happy. It's what brings joy to our life. Yeah. And so our brain actually starts creating more dopamine naturally again. So we have an astronomical success rate of getting people off antidepressants, benzodiazepines like Xanax, antipsychotic yeah. medications, street drugs, alcohol, you name it. Wow. Okay. So it recreates the neuroplasticity of the brain, which that's wild in itself because, I mean, my understanding was always like the neuroplasticity, you can change it, but it takes an extremely long time to change, but you've always got that underlying trauma in the brain. Like I, I know, like, I mean, every single one of my tattoos on my body is to do with a, a life lesson and also like a, a looking forward of how I need to restructure my brain. The first one was on, on my wrist, which was, I knew that my, that was the first time at 24 that I realized, I always understood like training your muscles to go to the gym, you know, you lift weights, you keep going back. But it, at 24, it clicked that my brain was also a muscle. It's just a super, super complex muscle. Um, and then across 10 years, I've had to undo a, a, like my teens and, you know, early 20s um, by uh, addressing that stuff. So, but you're saying this is like a sped up scenario. Is it like it's a reset or is it more like it's a recalibration? So I, the analogy I use for people is ketamine is like a control alt delete for the old program, the program really? that no longer serves us. Think uh, there's a, the, a doctor who's a really good friend of mine and her name's Dr. Michelle Weiner, and she actually was a pain management doctor out of um, over in Miami mm -hmm. and she, you know, does medical cannabis referrals and, but she got into ketamine because she was tired of giving everybody all these opioid medications and, you know, not seeing any kind of, you know, good results with it really just like you know having people on pain medications and and the thing is is that ketamine's working amazing for pain management also because it's going in and it's resetting the receptors in the brain that actually make us experience pain so it's taking the pain out of people's bodies but the best description i can give is that one thing she said and it's actually in our documentary lighter that's coming out she was talking about how our brain is like a snow globe and it's all this disorganized information, disorganized thoughts. And so it's like this snow flying around in all these different directions. And when you get into a disassociated state from ketamine, it allows the snow to go down to the bottom of the globe and reorganize itself when you're disassociated. It's almost like, you know, going offline for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then once you come back from this disassociated state, it reorganizes all the snow in the globe. So it's like, gotcha. so this, you know, I tell people not just ketamine, psychedelic compounds in general, but like, it's a tool. It's a catalyst. Mm. It really gives us the opportunity to grab the reins of our own life. And then we also don't just preach the medicine at our facility. We also teach people about breath work and meditation and healthy lifestyle changes. We have an amazing staff at our facility. Our medical director and head psychiatrist is Dr. Andrew Ferber. Dr. Ferber has been a psychiatrist for over 60 years. He's been a meditator for over 50 years. He's taught meditation on five continents. He lived with Osho for over 20 years. He was friends with Ram Dass and Timothy Leary. He's really a legend. And, you know, people will work with Dr. Ferber 
We have our therapist, Hannah, who's on staff. She will do pre and post integration with people. Now, integration is one of the most intricate and important parts about psychedelic therapy. And it's because when people get into these profound healing experiences where sometimes people at our facility say they meet God. Sometimes people will say that they were in communication with deceased relatives during their treatments. Sometimes people will go out into the cosmos and meditate. I had one of my friends whose wife was being treated and she said during one of her treatments, she went out into space and was meditating with Jesus and Buddha at the same time. Um, But then sometimes people will actually go back to a past traumatic experience that they've been through and watch it from a, a like a spectator's view. It's a mm. third party perspective where there's no real feeling or emotions attached to it. So people can process it, release it and let it go. But when people are having these kind of experiences, it's very important for them to have somebody to talk about and process this stuff with. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Cause it's very, it's very true. Like seeing something third person is it's weird. I don't know, like, especially obviously I I film so much of what I do that when you see it third person, it's completely different to how you perceive the situation. Sometimes you'll say something you thought was funny and you look back and like, wow, I was a a fuckwit. (laughs) (laughs) Or or the reverse, you're like, man, that was terrible. It was, it was whatever it was. And then you look back, you're like, oh, that was actually really cool that to think your brain could potentially have the capacity to look third person upon itself as a processing tool, that is that is so crazy. So, so with the, the the ketamine treatment, how is it that you run them through? You said it was intermuscular, so it's an injection. Um, when you're running through it with someone, I'm guessing they're sedentary or they're lying down, um, and you're, I guess, present to make sure that everything goes fine. Is that correct? So our facility is very different from your typical facility. And we we really built our company on a lot of the what not to do's. Mm. Um, Also, I know personally, if I was going to go on a psychedelic journey, I wouldn't want to do it at a doctor's office. Good point. So, so, so my fiance Christina, who's actually the um, the owner and founder of Myself Wellness, um, I'm the head chef, head chief educational officer and brand ambassador. But uh, she designed our our facility very beautifully, where it feels like you're at a day spa. In in the treatment rooms, you have this very comfortable recliner chair and diffusers, and then we have Alexa's playing meditation music, and. One of the things that we heard from people that had gone to other clinics was that the nursing staff would keep coming in and out of the rooms throughout the treatment mm. and and keep checking on them to make sure they were okay, which actually was disturbing them and, and pulling them out of the actual experiences because ketamine is a very navigatable experience at times where if you hear something out of the side of your ear, it can actually pull you away from the experience. So what we did was we actually set up cameras in the rooms. And so mm. we actually monitor the treatments from a station in, in, in like um, our setting room for our, our, our staff. And they watch people during their treatments from there. So we don't have to keep going in and out of the rooms. We have call buttons if people feel like they need somebody to come in with them. Um, if we notice somebody maybe trying to get up during their treatment, one of our our nursing staff will go in there and make sure that they don't get out of their chair. 
Um, one thing, oh, and, and another thing is, is we have an amazing integration room. So like another thing that we had heard was people were being rushed out of the building after their treatments were over after, at a, other clinics where like, you know, people were still disoriented from the medication and the physiological remapping that's happening to these neuropathways happens for the hour that you're in your session and then for a short window of time after that. So this is when the healing process is happening and it's like you're reprogramming your mind to feel the way that you're feeling coming out of these treatments. So we have an integration room with these big, beautiful couches and meditation music so people can integrate properly after their experiences okay so it only lasts an hour yeah typical treatment will go anywhere from about 45 50 minutes to an hour Mm -hmm. and then people will hang out and and relax in their room for probably about another half hour or so and meditate you know i I tell people this is a tool for meditation I joke around with our clients and I say, listen, you can achieve what a Buddhist monk that's been meditating for 50 years can achieve in an hour at our facility. And it's basically like, you know, it's a cheat code to get into these deep meditative states. Um, You know, it's once you go into, you know, I know a lot of people out there are like, oh, this is crazy, psychedelics, you know, people are just getting high and they're Mm. tripping and stuff like that. And it's like, listen, you know, psychedelic medicine saved my life. Now, does that mean, and, and it's because I suffered from substance abuse issues. Now it's an alcoholic for over 20 years. No kind of talk therapy, no psychiatry, no rehab stays, nothing ever worked for me. I had all of these underlying issues, all this depression and anxiety, and I was self-medicating with other things. Now, when I was younger, did I take copious amounts of psychedelics and get healing from them? No. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that it's the intention. So like, if I have the intention of using these compounds for the therapeutic value, and I have the intention of using them for a tool for meditation and I go in and I put my blackout mask on so you know I'm going within not looking for external pleasures Mm -hmm. you can achieve anywhere from five to ten years worth of talk therapy in six sessions at our facility really yeah so because that's always something that I've been aware of which is it's the connection you make to whatever it is like so that's why if you if you're drinking at the end of the day because Oh, I can't wait to go home or get away from work and have a have a drink. That is a bad emotional connection to at a substance. Uh, and it's a, same as coffee. You know, like, oh, I can't wait to get up and have a coffee. It's like, ah. Because um, they go through that in the book, uh, Irresistible. Have you read that book? No. I think you'd love it. Okay. It goes into it, – it, it surrounds itself around um, social media addiction um, but do, does a lot of correlations with like heroin addiction and other um, illicit drugs. And it ends up saying that the most addictive um, thing to humans is actually habits. That's the most, like, it doesn't matter if you have, they did a study during, well, what was it? Uh, the Vietnam War. You know how like heroin was massive for the soldiers in Vietnam? It was because there was nothing to do, it was readily available, et cetera, et cetera that usually like in America, a relapse rate of uh, rehab with heroin is like 95% relapse. When they when the soldiers came back, they did their rehab, the relapse rate dropped to 5%. So that's like a 13X difference, which is, you know, it feels like it's been manipulated. But the, the reasoning behind it was that there's no, like they've connected heroin with jungle, heroin with, um, you know, war, and when they come back home, 
they don't have any of those connections, those emotional connections that they had with heroin. Therefore, they're like, oh, I don't need to do it. Um, so how do you go into it with someone? Because I, with, I mean, ayahuasca is another thing that a lot of the spiritual world love to go into. Like my wife's into the spiritual realm. She hasn't done ayahuasca, but I know a lot of her friends where I'm like, they do it seeking you know, growth and how it, how it is marketed is it's a self-healing growth thing. But I've noticed that it becomes an escapism and it's not about, for, for some of them, it's not, they're lying to themselves in a way. Like they're like, no, this is helping me. But I'm like, you're doing an illicit drug every single week for six months. You know, that's, that's not what's happening. How do you manage that with your clients to make sure that they are using it for the right purposes versus them sort of even potentially lying to themselves and being like, hey, Charles, like I need another hit. Like, well, I need another treatment. <laughs> you know, so like I'm a huge fan of Alan Watts, okay? Mm -hmm. And Alan Watts had this saying, and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't verbatim, but basically it was along these lines. And it's like psychedelic medicines are like a telephone receiver, okay? You, you pick the receiver up. You put it to your ear, mm. you listen to the message, but it's important to put the receiver back down and apply what you've learned to your life. Mm. Now, an intramuscular shot of ketamine is very comparable to an ayahuasca session or a DMT trip. And DMT is actually the main, that fascinates the, me. the main psychoactive ingredient in ayahuasca. And so the thing is, is that believe it or not, these compounds, when used properly, are telling people not to do it anymore. So like really? so like me personally, even though psychedelics saved my life, I don't take them anymore. Mm. Okay, like I'm done on my psychedelic journey. And the reason is is because I kept getting the message that I was done. It was like, listen, you know, you've healed, you know, you you got to a place where you can really, you know, manifest your own reality and and be there for other people and for the betterment of humanity and i kept getting the same message over and over again and it was just like like what are you doing like you've got this message i kept having the same thing happen over and over and over again i'm like you know what like i don't need to hear this anymore i get it like mm. i know i'm connected and I'm, I'm a part of consciousness or you know i'm a part of it all and uh and that's really liberating you know, to find out that we're, we're all connected and that we're really all one and mm. that there is no such thing as death because we're all made of energy and we're all just a part of it. Yeah. And so like once, you know, and listen, this is just my beliefs. I'm not trying to preach to anybody. I'm just sharing what I've experienced through my journey. And that when I realized that it took the fear factor away from me. And see, most people don't realize, and this is once again, like from my perspective, that we are the manifestors and creators of our own reality. And that the only thing that really stops us from manifesting and creating the reality that we want is fear. Mm -hmm. You know, listen, you got two ways you can go in life. You can live in love or you can live in fear. Today, I choose to live in love. For a majority of my life, I lived in fear. Mm. Psychedelics took me out of that fear zone, though, you know. Also, psychedelic medicines gave me the ability to love myself because I hated myself for a lot of years. And this is why I self-medicated with, you know, like I self-medicated with heroin and cocaine and I was completely strung out for a lot of years of my life. I was always looking for that escape. I just wanted to numb myself. Mm. 
And psychedelic medicines are very different. You know, Joe Rogan talks about it. He's like, listen, you got, you know, you got good drugs and you got bad drugs. And like he says, you know, like, like, you know, heroin and cocaine and meth. And these are, these are bad drugs and not going to get any real health benefits from these. And then you have drugs that are, can be good for you when used properly, like, you know, psilocybin mushrooms or DMT or ketamine. And so, you know, when I really got taken out of that fear point of my life, and I realized that there was no box, this proverbial box that everybody tries to fit you in. It's like, you know, you know, go be good and, and fit in this box because everybody yeah. else lives in this box. Psychedelics showed me that the box was bullshit, <laughs> that the box doesn't exist, man. You know, and that, that the only thing that was holding me back from living my dream life or, or being, you know, the, the person that I would really be, be true, truly proud and happy being was these fears and, and the stuff that, that was just, it was my own limitations. I, I believe that we're limitless beings and that we can accomplish anything that we want. You know, listen, like the way that we started our company it, it, like, I wouldn't suggest this to anybody, but, it, but this is the truth. It's like, we took a leap of faith. You know, I was in the electronics industry. I'm selling ad space. I'm working for a PR firm and I'm in Mexico at a trade show. And, you know, I, I was out at dinner with all the CEOs of these companies. I'm talking about psilocybin and DMT. And they're just looking at me like I have three heads. They have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in the wrong industry, you know? And so I came back and Christina and, and I tell this story and, and my, my timeline was off before I say it. my son, Charlie wasn't born yet, but he actually was around six months old. And I sat down with my fiance, Christina, and I'm like, listen, if I went through 20 years worth of misery in my life and I don't use what helped me to help other people, it was a waste of 20 years in my life. Mm. So I'm going to quit my jobs <laughs> and uh, we're going to take a leap of faith as long as it's okay with you. I was like, and let's say, you know, let's start a wellness center where we can do meditation and yoga and Qigong. And, you know, hopefully one day we can get into ketamine because I had these very profound experiences through ketamine, you know, years ago in my life. And I knew that there was something to it. I like had my depression was taken away. My anxiety was taken away. It wasn't long lasting because I didn't use it properly, like what we're doing at the facility. But we sh Christina was doing aesthetic procedures, so she was going to do that from our facility. We started the wellness center, and we thought we needed a medical director for one of her machines. So we're at her mother's house, and I'm like, you know, hey, listen, we we both have a mutual friend named Dave, and he's a he's a doctor. I'm like, wouldn't it be great if I bumped into Dave, and he said he'd be our medical director? And she's like, yeah, that'd be amazing, <laughs> you know. And the next day, I'm walking into the gym, and I hadn't seen this guy for months. And he's walking in to the gym, like right next to me. And I look up and I'm like, no way. <laughs> so I, yeah. So I walked over <laughs> and I'm like, Hey man, I'm like, you know, listen, you know, Christina's got these machines and we don't know if we need a medical director. And he's like, well, you know, that's a gray area. And he's like, I, I really, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you want to work out today? And he's like, yeah, man, let's work out. About half hour into our workout, he looks at me. He's like, hey, Charles. I'm like, yeah. He's like, why don't you ask me to be your medical director? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, so like that was like the first synchronicity that happened. 
And then now he, Dave's not our medical director anymore. Now, you know, Dr. Ferber is, but it was because a mutual friend had told Dr. Ferber about what we were doing. And he like wanted to come put his seal of approval on it and check us out and see if we were legit. And so he's sitting down and he's telling me stories about Ram Dass and astral projection and Timothy Leary and, you know, and living with Osho and all this. I'm like, gosh, this guy's amazing. Like, I really wish we could work with this guy. At the end of the conversation, he looks over at me and he goes, so tell me. What do you need me for? And I'm just like, okay, I see what's going on here. And so, <laughs> so he came on as our head psychiatrist, now our medical director. Um, our nurse, Jessica, she was a yoga instructor who happened to be a nurse also. And she mm. came to you know apply for one of the yoga teaching slots. And she saw the IV poles and she's like, what are you guys doing here? And we're like, well, we're going to be doing psychedelic therapy with ketamine. And she's like, what? She's like, I'm a nurse. And I'm just like... Okay. And she's like, and I think I want to try this myself. And she's like, cause she had some, you know, and, and I wouldn't talk about Jessica's story without her knowledge, but she's in our documentary. She's very public about it. But you know, Jessica had dealt with depression and anxiety and some other things. And she was on a string of medications and, you know, through her treatments, she got off four or five different medications, quit drinking, quit smoking cigarettes, lost like 50 pounds, but she came in. And so like we had our nurse and then Christina's mother made chicken one night. And I end, I was the only person that ate it, of course, and I ended up getting sick. I got food poisoning. And I'm, you know, I'm looking up and I'm like, like, what's going on? My karma's clean. How come I'm sick like this? I just can't get it. Like, what's going on with me? I end up in the back of an ambulance at like 3.30 in the morning. And the EMT was a guy named Matt. And I was telling him about psychedelic therapy and what we do at our facility. And he's like, my wife's a therapist and she wants to get into psychedelic therapy. And so now Matt's wife, Hannah, is our therapist. So, so like literally like <laughs> you, you couldn't make it up, man. You know what I'm saying? So it was like kind of like wink from the universe after wink from the universe where it's mm. like, this is what's supposed to happen. And it, and then like, you know, it all started with that leap of faith, man. Yeah. yeah. it's It definitely seems like America, I'm, Australia hasn't been, not to my knowledge, doing too much just yet but there's this big movement towards the useful um well the effective use of psychedelics because i guess before that who knows what political stuff went behind it to ban the stuff and again it could be a, a combination of you know people were seeing a lot of people using it for escapism instead of productive use but um cuz i know my in, my brother-in-law's wife she does, um, I think it's rapid eye movement therapy or whatever it is. EMDR. That's it. Yeah. And she's, she's got someone who does the ketamine treatment as well. Cause obviously when I, when we first met, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like this is like, I, I was amazed that one is obviously illegal. It's obviously legal because there's so many places that are doing it. Um, but again, I came from the knowledge that, uh, ketamine was that horse tranquilizer that, you know, my only experience with it has been people getting quote unquote in a K hole. Cause they thought like I worked at a bar. There was a guy who <sighs> this decision is like the dumbest decision you ever found a baggie on the floor, assumed as cocaine. I'm like, okay, for starters, you don't just pick drugs off the floor, dude. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. So he assumes it's, co it's cocaine has a massive line. Second, he hits, like, obviously, you can tell the difference. And he goes, uh oh, that was K. And now he's in this K hole for like a solid three hours. And I'm just looking at him going, 
you idiot. <laughs> and I know plenty of other people that used to, you know, dabble in it as an illicit drug. Um, but to hear that it's now being used, like what you're saying, to treat people is, is fascinating because I've never done psychedelics. Um, I've never, mainly because the unknown to a degree, it fascinates me. I've done meditation, a lot of meditation. Um, and I've had experiences that have like, I mean, again, tattooed it on my arm. It was, um, the hemi-sync, you know, gateway process. Did you ever hear, did the cycles around the internet? Probably it was in 2020. I think it was, um, an unreleased paper or a released paper from a 1986 from the CIA allegedly. So I read it great, like made a lot of sense, but it's to do with like, in short, they have this theory that there's two dimensions. One is the physical and the other is called the absolute. That's where space and time is not limited and et cetera, et cetera. And one, hem one hemisphere of your brain accesses that that's when you, you're dreaming the, the right side, I think, turns off. That's what perceives this realm. Um, and then you listen to different brain waves to match them up a little bit closer so you're not completely in theta, but you're not completely in, in beta when you're um, awake. So anyway, had that experience where I was meditating, going through a lot of shit at the time, massive trauma with my, my family and problems and stuff, and it's fine now, but had this unex like inexplicable experience where this blue aura just came over my eyes like my eyes were shut and i was it all of a sudden it was like sat in i was like i knew what i can can't and won't do so obviously i can keep trying i've tried everything i can't seem to convince them so stop holding on to it and i won't obviously go and like burn their house down <laughs> you know? um and I was just like, oh, thanks, Jasper. I was like, who the fuck's Jasper? <laughs> I can't explain it. But I had that, it sounds similar to a psychedelic experience just from pure meditation mixed with certain wavelengths to uh, manipulate my brain waves in my, in my, head, in my brain. Um, and that in and of itself seemed to have been, a, I guess, a reset. And I can't explain it, but I just accept it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've never gone into testing that stuff. I'm fascinated by it. Um, but also I'm in like a weird situation right now where I can't do anything because with my green card, I'm not allowed to have ever done drugs of any type. So I'm at this weird intermediate place where I'm like, as much as I'm so fascinated by them, I can't even do them. Unless they're FDA approved and prescribed by a doctor. Wink. It's so, so America <laughs> is the weirdest country, dude. Like, um, even when I was coming here, like when I was doing the, uh, the last exam and question, they're like, have you ever done a drug? Mm -hmm. and I'm like, no. And they go, good. See, but they so go, even if you said yes, they wouldn't let me in. I was like, huh? <laughs> like, so, so like, so like. Let's let, like drugs is such a big term, broad term. Mm. We have medicines also, drugs and medicines. Oh, morphine's heroin, and, and so and, and so <laughs> so like ketamine's a medicine. Helps people with depression. Helps mm. people with anxiety. Now, is it is it used illicitly? Yeah. So are like ninety nine percent of the other compounds that are mind altering. But the thing is, is that like 
you know, I have a feeling that even in your circumstances, if you went to a psychiatrist and he prescribed you ketamine treatments like mm. we do at our facility, you could most likely have this kind of experience. Gotcha. Now, listen, so when you were telling your story about your actual profound experience while you were in this dreamlike almost kind of state in between the dream realm and here, basically, we actually have DMT in our brain. Mm. Okay, we all naturally produce DMT. It's produced in the pineal gland of the brain, which is also known as like, you know, your third eye, basically. And so, you know, people can actually access DMT. I believe it's like, you know, like when you're in REM sleep, DMT is released in the brain. It's also released, you know, at the time of birth and also at the time of death. So like when we die, there's an endogenous, you know, storage of DMT that all releases at the same time. And we yeah. basically all go out on this massive psychedelic trip. That's what I've heard. It's like DMT <laughs> replicates you dying. But then they say that as well, if you've had DMT once, then you can't ever have that DMT trip when you die. Therefore, pain is super, sorry, death is super painful. Or is that just a myth to keep people away from DMT? You know, honestly, I believe it's a myth because like the thing is, is that like your body recre recreates the DMT again, like within an hour after you smoke it. And so DMT can be smoked. It's, you know, drank in that shamanic brew called ayahuasca. But like I have over 40 breakthrough experiences on DMT under mm. my belt. And um, I, you know, died during some not physically not yeah. like i didn't literally die but i died in my dmt experience mm -hmm. where you die and then you basically have that death experience and then all of a sudden you come back and you're in your body and you're like okay <laughs> like yeah. so i so it's and that was one of the things that really took my fear of death away was from dmt experiences like that there was actually a doctor named dr rick strassman and i've actually like started corresponding with rick back and forth and um he, uh, cause he, you know, he's, he's a supporter of what we're doing at the facility, but he actually was doing DMT clinical studies out of the university of New Mexico. And during these clinical studies, he actually stopped the study after a while because, you know, he's a very clinical guy and he was going to go in and start monitoring people's heart rates and brain activity and things to that effect. And people kept having ET experiences during their TMT trips. Really? And so... So you mean like they ET phone home scenario? Yeah, like extraterrestrial beings or uh, uh, higher higher dimensional beings. See, that's why I reckon <laughs> on a tangent, I do believe... I mean, for one, there's definitely things out there, but I think we think of aliens as like how the movies are, like a big flying saucer versus like you think of how we get information on, on, on a, uh, a phone call. There's, we don't write a letter, give it to the person, then they go over anymore. Like that's gone. We put it in these, in, we can't like in what radio waves that goes to the space and then come back down. That I, I do question that if there's a civilization that's far enough ahead, do they just go into how they access different areas? Like di again, different, doesn't even have to be a realm. It can just be a different frequency that we can't access because, and again, it sounds kooky to us now, but you rewind 150 years ago and I go, or even 500 years ago, and I go, hey, there's this thing that this sun, the sun emits and it's it uh, can damage your body and cause cancer. We'll, we'll explain what cancer is later, but it but you can't see it and it's called ultraviolet light. Everyone will be like, shut the fuck up, you idiot. <laughs> 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 so to think that there's not something else, like I'd love to see the human species if we survive another thousand years. 
Yeah, for I sure. Think, like, think of what happened in the last 20. Yeah, oh. no, it, it's going to be crazy. You know, it's, it's all about frequencies and vibrations. And, yeah. You know, like, so Tesla actually thought, you know, and didn't think this was what he really came to the conclusion of is that, you know, our, our brain is basically like a transmitter. It's a receiver. Mm. And I believe he was talking about the pineal gland when mm -hmm. he was talking about this. So just think of compounds like DMT tapping us in like to a different frequency. It's like our receiver picks up yeah. a, a different frequency or a different vibration. And like, you know, I've had some very mind blowing experiences that could be relatable to what we were talking about during psychedelic experiences, mostly on DMT. Um, occasionally, like when I was doing my ketamine, something like that. But, you know, DMT really is, you know, it's completely just it's this mind blowing compound that basically, you know, it, it contains the secrets of the universe in my yeah. eyes and, and, you know, and it taps you into these higher states of consciousness that people have been talking about for thousands of years. Mm. And it's really like, you know, a catalyst to get into these states. Yeah. And uh, it makes total sense. Cause I was listening to Brian Cox. Uh, he's a, he's a scientist, but he explains as well. Like, I mean, I guess the accident of, the earth like our solar system shouldn't exist like it's just when they'd re try and retest it the chances of this many planets perfectly circling and not getting pulled in or pushed out is just so un inexplicably rare that he also explains like everything's just energy that even our consciousness is just energy and it's just a bunch of atoms and uh, molecules that are just you know, constantly connecting and bouncing off one another that just somehow have created a being that is conscious. Um, and it is fascinating to hear him explain this combination of things that don't mean anything individually combining to make something that makes sense that it does. It did bring up, even though he doesn't believe in afterlife God or anything like that, it, I guess in the sense of the religious, religious and biblical sense, uh, it made sense of terms of death or, you know, it's, it's not a conscious thing. It's just that we, our, the energy and the atoms and the stuff that are in us get reallocated to something different. And I mean, again, like, I mean, who the fuck knows what the answer is, but, um, what do you think just to like have fun with this? <laughs> And again, there's no, there's no wrong answers. No, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, from what my experiences showed me is that there is definitely something that we are all a part of. Mm. And what we have going right here is a manifestation of the collective mind, mm. the collective mind being consciousness or God or whatever label you want to put on it. Now, I'm like, we could go really down the rabbit hole here and, and I'm, I'm there, but I haven't ruled out that I can't believe I'm about to say this. I, can't, I haven't ruled out that this is a simulation also. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, I've had simulation experiences in my life when I've had psychedelic compounds mm. where I literally saw everything break down to like dripping code. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like the matrix. Yeah. 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 yeah like you're not kind of like, like, like the matrix. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And you know, it's like, I know this sounds completely just 
batshit crazy to people, but like, it's not just me that have had these kind of experiences. And Elon Musk actually talks about this stuff. Mm. You know, Elon Musk said there's like one in billions chances that we're not in a simulation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I have, I have a lot of respect for well, Elon. you think about like that movie Free Guy uh, with, um, was it Ryan, shit, I can't really, can't, Ryan Reynolds. He doesn't know he's in a video game. I just you know watched what I mean? that. I just watched so that movie like, recently. Yeah. You know, like, yes, it's like, to be fair, the problem with everything and our the ability for our imagination is everything is possible and everything is stupid simultaneously because it's like, again, the idea of God, it is possible. It's also a stupid thing. The idea that, I mean, well, for starters, what is it? Uh, Peter Holmes talks about it. He goes... <laughs> He's talking about how we have these stupid problems. He's like, we're on a, a rock that's floating in nothing around another big fire rock. And he goes, also, I'm made up of the same things this table's made up of. And for some reason, when I do this, my hand doesn't go through it. And do you know what science says? We don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the whole ridiculousness of everything. So, I mean, yeah, it's plausible that you could we could be in a simulation but again, like you say it out loud and it sounds so stupid, but the problem is, again, 500 years ago, if I told you that there was the ability to press a button and a light will turn on or the ability to press a button and then press a record button, now I can film this. If I told you that 500 years ago, they're like, you're a madman. Chill the fuck out. Like, so who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, listen, like, the the thing that really showed me the whole energy thing was actually a, a ketamine and MDMA experience I had about nine years ago. Mm. And uh, I had taken some MDMA and then about 30 minutes after I took it, a guy I was with pulled out a bag of ketamine and he was like, hey, he's like, you want to try this? And I'm like, what is that, ketamine? And he's like, yeah. Mm. I'm like, okay. I did some of the ketamine and then I stood up and, you know, my ex-wife was there and one of my, a couple of my buddies. And I looked at everybody and I go, if I didn't know what everything was about before, <laughs> I know what it's about now, man. I was like, everything's made of energy. I go, you got positive energy and negative energy. And I'm so full of positive energy. And I sat down in a chair and the entire room broke down into energy. Like mm. I could see all of the atoms vibrating in everything, the table in front of me, my friend next to me. It was like literally everything was just vibrating at different frequencies. Now, this is when the story gets really crazy mm -hmm. is I look up and there's this geometric portal opening up above me. I feel like I'm being loaded down in a slingshot and then I was skyrocketed out of my body into deep space. Yeah, someone's, <laughs> they said about DMT, similar experience. Like it's like a boom, shot off. Out into the universe, man. And like, I <laughs> listen, like I am not a religious person. I'm a very spiritual person, but there are some higher dimensional beings there and Jesus yeah. was there. It was completely crazy, man. But And I basically got this message that I was like, hey, you should probably get your life together. <laughs> you know, like you should probably stop taking all the drugs and drinking like you are and like really start taking care of yourself. Mm. Now, see, this is where the integration stuff that I was talking about really comes into play mm. because all of a sudden, whoop, I'm back in my body <laughs> and 
it was like this shell shocking experience because I like everything I've ever believed in my entire life is a lie. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you know? And so like it actually made me isolate more because like I had tried to tell a couple of people about what yeah. happened to me and they're like, oh, this dude belongs in a straitjacket in a loony yeah. bin. You know what I'm saying? So it's That's like, like telling people to dream. You can't. You can't. Yeah. You know, you tell someone, oh, you were in my dream and straight away they go, oh, was it sex? Like, yeah, no, (laughs) you know, you can't explain it. No. So it was like, so if I would have had somebody to integrate that stuff with me properly back then, it probably would have propelled me forward in an even better direction faster. Mm. But then years later, I actually had a, uh, a six gram psilocybin mushroom trip. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so like, and, and I was still drinking and using a lot of cocaine at this time. And I like wanted to get myself together, but I, you know, I'd quit my heroin addiction through a DMT experience. Um, and then, but I was still doing this stuff and on my six gram mushroom trip, I used it as a tool for medicate or meditation. There's a guy named Terrence McKenna and he was basically like the godfather of DMT. This guy did speeches on it. He was a legend. His brother, mm-hmm. Dennis McKenna is actually still in the field and he's a you know huge advocate and does a lot of stuff with psilocybin mushrooms and ayahuasca. And I've actually talked to him a couple of times back and forth on LinkedIn, but he basically said, if you take five, dra- gri- five dried grams of mushrooms in pitch black silence and meditate on it, you know, like you basically find out like secrets of the universe kind of stuff, right? Mm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take six. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you and raise one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. So I took six grams, I meditated on it in pitch black, and I went out into the universe and I became one with everything. Mm. Like I became one with like, you know, consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it. And I realized that I was a part of it all. And like, so are you and so are all of us. And like, mm. we're all connected. And so then all of a sudden at the end of my journey, I end up back in my body and I realized that I was a part of it all and that Every time I was drinking and taking drugs, I was literally poisoning God or, really? a, or a piece of God or a piece mm. of consciousness or whatever you want to call it, this thing that we're all a part of. So there was a lot of crying <laughs> and a lot yeah. of apologizing for the way that I'd been living for so many years. And that was really like the the icing where like I was like, okay, time to start changing my life. It's time to start eating healthier, exercising, doing all this stuff. You know, I had eating addictions too for a lot of years of my life. I weighed almost 300 pounds at one time. Mm-hmm. And so like psychedelics didn't just get me off drugs and alcohol. They got me to eat healthier. They got me to exercise. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. people don't think that these medicines are going to do this for you. It's like, no, you're taking drugs. You're going to, you know, you're tripping. This is for yeah. hippies, you know, this kind of stuff. It's like, no, man, like, you know, these, these compounds can open up parts of the psyche and, and open up your mind to things that you normally wouldn't be able to tap into. So it completely changed everything for me. And then I got to that place where I was in a really good place. And especially like when we opened the clinic, I was in a good place, but I had Dr. Ferber put me through the treatments that we were going to be giving our clients. Even though I had had all of these profound psychedelic experiences, I'm like, I want to be able to relate to everybody that walks through this door about like what they're getting into, what they're, you know, like, like, so I can, I can talk to them about exactly what they experienced. And let me tell you something. I went from being in a good place in my life to the most amazing place that I ever thought that I was going to possibly get to in my life. You know, 
ketamine's different than these other psychedelic compounds for what it did for me it was for what it did for my mood and demeanor it took me from these peaks and valleys that i was going through in my mood and it brought me to the most cool calm centered and collected place mm. i was also using obscene amounts of uh, THC, which is from cannabis or marijuana, um, edibly, like I was eating them. I had my med card, I was taking large amounts and I was literally just going through my days, like, you know, taking these masses of amount doses of THC and I was fully functional and I was like, you know, very mm. productive and I was getting a lot of stuff done. And then it was weird. It was like, the ketamine actually reset my tolerance for cannabis. So it's like, I was taking a couple hundred milligrams of THC and like, just like going about my day, <laughs> which is crazy. And, and then like after I did my ketamine treatments, I would take like a 10 milligram edible and I'd be like, whoa. you like off the moon. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so stoned right now. Like this isn't like what I, like, like this is nothing, you know, like this, I used to take, you know, 20 times this amount, what's going on. And so it not only reset my tolerance, but I feel like it got to those final underlying issues and my PTSD that hadn't been healed up properly and all of that kind of stuff. So we're like, I didn't need to medicate with it anymore. Mm. And I was medicating with it. So like, so like it took me to that place where I was like, I don't need this anymore. And it's actually slowing me down now. And now I'm not as productive as I could be. So it's like, I didn't need to medicate with it anymore. So like, I'm, listen, I'm a huge advocate for cannabis. I think it's a great medicine. I think it's very good for people that especially aren't ready to do a deep dive with psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, you know, is like, there's something, you know, I think that cannabis now would be more like if I hurt myself, or something like, let's say I broke my leg or let's say I broke my finger or whatever, you know, and I was mm -hmm. in excruciating pain. I think I would resort to taking cannabis for that because I feel like cannabis is for, in my eyes, in my view, would be more like for the body mm -hmm. where psychedelics are more for the mind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So that makes sense because it, it definitely feels like, I mean, I've always been a heavy advocate, anti-advocate. I guess you could say for like antidepressants and um, because I mean, again, when I was 20, 24 and I had that self-realization slash epiphany that this toxic negativity, I, like I could, I could make everything negative, you know, that the tattoo on my wrist was like, it's like what I ended up calling the equation for happiness or equation for life, which was O over S, others over self. And then the plus sign at the top. So like think positive so that I can get the momentum of, because everything in your brain is momentum. The same as again, physical. If you train every single day, having a week off doesn't matter. If you don't train any days, training a week is not going to matter either. Um, but I had trained myself to be negative, 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 negative. And when I had that epiphany, um, fuck, I lost where I was going. It was going to be a good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was about an antidepressant. Oh, uh, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like um, I never wanted – I've always realized that there is kind of like this uh, – we like to blanket explain something. It, it, even though everything ebbs and flows – you know, like if everything was blanket, you would only ever feel one emotion and that would be it versus, you know, depression or anxiety are just um, emotional 
um, reactions to the environment around you or things that are happening to you or how you feel about how you should be where you are, if that makes sense, that I didn't really like antidepressants or anti-anxiety things because I was like, they're just a, a blanket example. They're, they're a blanket, basically. So if I, if I stain my carpet and I put a blanket on it, the second I remove that blanket, the stain's still there. Um, and I'm just glad that I, I mean, I had these little self-realizations and I can't explain where they came from, but it was like, even at 19, when I, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me, everyone was like, let's go out and just get fucked up. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that as an escape at 19. Like who the fuck realizes that at 19? Um, but then at 24, I realized, oh, I'm thinking so negative about everything. It was like to the point where I had to, that was, it was there deliberately on my wrist as a reminder to always see it and be like, at first it started off catch any negative thought. I had to kind of balance it with a positive. And again, just like if you haven't trained in ages, 10 pounds feels heavy. Saying something positive felt so fucking gay. Like I'm talking from a teenage mentality. Like it's like, oh, that's how it felt. And I was like, it was like, ugh, just icky and gross. Where like, so for example, if I'd see an, an overweight girl with the muffin top coming out from her midriff, the mean part of my brain would be like, fat bitch. Blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, whoa, catch that. She's probably really cool. And I'd probably enjoy, like she would probably have some good laughs together. But I had to do that for so long to recalibrate my brain. Um, because I, I, I wanted to properly fix it versus again, I think it's because I've, I had to always align it with physical fitness because I, I, I always understood physical fitness. And I know that when people be like, Oh, I just want to lose, I want to lose weight in three months. So they stop eating for three months and then they go back to it. And it's like, they're fatter than before. Yeah. I saw that with people that would go on antidepressants, anti-anxiety. It's like, Oh, now you're addicted to that. And just like the opioid epidemic that happened here, even at, that happens outside of the opioid-based um, painkillers and stuff. I've noticed that people end up, again, it's like, oh, if, if my threshold is to be unhappy at this level, whatever that is made up, and I take the pill, next time my threshold becomes here, then here, then here, then here, then all of a sudden I'm just having them. And now just having one pill constantly is not enough, so I need to have two. That the second you take that pill away or I can't get any because I can't get a hold of my doctor. Now shit's about to hit the fan. Um, so I've always had that belief about him and I hated the fact that it was always like, you have this problem, here's this band-aid solution. And the second you sort of address that that's like, hey, can we fix this versus do it? There's been like this huge backlash of like, you don't get it. And it's like, well, no, I've been through the same shit. It's just taken me 10 years to sort it out. And I still like, you know, you ebb and flow because I think if you haven't got a, if you don't have a bad day, you don't know what a good day feels like. If you don't have a good day, you don't know what a bad day feels like. Um, that I'm so, it's so relieving to see that there's a, a shift. And I think it's, it's probably still like at least 10 years away because I think you kind of need a few old school people to die out for it to get fully where it should be. And I'm hoping that it's going to be careful as well. It's not going to be like a, a pendulum swing where all of a sudden everyone's depressed and everyone needs to take these, you know, 
uh, psychedelic treatments because then all of a sudden I'm worried that it'll become like a it's, it's again it, people will start taking it as an escapism and if money starts tarnishing it then it's just like you know well everyone can have it it's fine versus like how do we how do we get you to do the treatment so we can get you off the treatment and that's what I saw with painkillers and antidepressants and anti-anxiety there's no motive to get you off them so at our facility, I tell our clients this. I want to see you at the grocery store. I want to see you if we go out to dinner together and we're hanging out or something. I don't want to see you doing ketamine in here for the rest of your life. Mm. And see, and the thing is, is that we actually, like, it, it's, we preach the whole package. This isn't just about the medicine, like I said. And like, you know, I think that you're going to have people that, you know, they're trying to escape one way or another with whatever. The thing is, is that when you, and, and that's why it's very important to have the right people that you're going and seeking these treatments from and people that, you know, are going to be using it for the therapeutic value. I mean, listen, that being said, a lot of my experiences didn't happen in a facility. Mm. And, you know, a couple of my experiences, I went into not looking for the therapeutic value and <laughs> I had my ass handed to me and I got the therapeutic value, you know, but the thing is, is that these, so like these medicines are tapping people in the higher states of consciousness. And so like when used properly, these are the kind of medicines that say, don't take any more. Like, mm. or like, you know, like quit doing all the other bad stuff that you're doing in your life. These, these like are actually making people not want to abuse drugs and alcohol and, or psychedelic compounds. There's a company called Awaken Sciences and they're out of Canada and they just did a clinical study on AUD, which is alcohol use disorder. Mm. Now, also the Australian United Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, so. If people typically will go to a detox stay for alcohol and then 28 day stay in rehab, 12 step meetings for the rest of their life, there's around a three to 5% chance of long-term sobriety. Now with AUD, uh, Awaken scientists just did this clinical study and they gave their, uh, the, the test subjects or the people ketamine treatments. Mm -hmm. After six months, 86% of the people hadn't had a sip of alcohol. Wow. Now, they did a similar study. A Russian scientist did a similar study with opioids. I think the number for that was like 78% after six mm. months. Um, Is the opioids more uh, addictive, though? It's, they hit the same receptors in the brain, actually, alcohol, alcohol and opioids, too. Mm. So so the thing is, is that... Oh, you mean you hit, they got them off opioids? Yeah. Sorry, I misheard that. No, it's yeah. cool. And so the thing is, is that... And, like, even with the antidepressants that you're talking about... Yeah. So, like, people ask me all the time, what's the difference between ketamine and my antidepressant? Your antidepressant, like you had touched on, and this is what I say, is like a Band-Aid that you're throwing on an open wound. It's losing its cohesiveness. It's not sticking anymore. Mm -hmm. Now you're stuck taking a medication every day for the rest of your life, and you're not getting the relief that you're looking for. Yeah, Ketamine is getting to the root issue, the root cause of why you're depressed, why you're suffering. Is that because it unravels, I guess, the, the protective shit that we have? Like, you know how, like, when a problem happens, even our brain kind of builds a protective layer, like a Band-Aid in a way. It's like someone said recently that it's just, we are just a constant building shell of protective layers. So I'm guessing ketamine, and I do this through meditation, and 
and also just, I mean, I, I probably do meditation because I have to sit there and just be like, all right, I'm angry at this thing. Why? And I just dig, which is hard. So I'm, it sounds like ketamine does that as well. It sort of peels off and goes those layers below when someone's not necessarily prepared to do that themselves. You're speaking my language because <laughs> this is what I, this is what I tell people, you know, we're programmed in society and we're just programmed in general. Don't show any emotions. Emotions make you weak. Just keep moving forward. And we don't mm. deal with things. We stuff them. We repress them. At times, we are repressing things and we don't even realize that we're repressing. So I have all of these things that have happened to me. I've never dealt with it or processed any of them. They're stuck in the back of my subconscious somehow. And now I'm wondering why I'm depressed and have anxiety all the mm. time and I can't figure it out. Because ketamine, and this is why ketamine is such a valuable tool, because it's different than the other psychedelic compounds in the aspect of it's a dissociative. So when people get into a disassociated state, it takes the blocks down that are holding these past repressed traumas, and it allows people to process, release them, and let them go. I had one of our clients who's a you know very successful man. He's retired in his early 40s. He never has to work again, but he still does. And the thing is, he says he was having an anxiety attack every day for like almost two years straight. Mm. Came in and did treatments, and during one of his treatments, he's like, I went back to when I was seven years old, and he goes, and I got bit by a dog. And he goes, and then after I got bit by the dog, my dad spanked me. And he goes, now you wouldn't think that he's like, it's stupid. He's like, that wouldn't like, like that's so like, why it's so yeah. random. And the thing is though, he's like, but I guess it really bothered me. Mm. You know, like another one of my really close friends, he came out of one of his treatments and he was bawling tears. And I was like, you know, listen, man, I'm like, you okay? What's going on with you? And he was like, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to molest me. Oh, shit. And he didn't remember? or No, he just, but he hadn't told anybody about it. Oh. And so he hadn't processed it. And he goes, and just right now, after this treatment, I realize that it's not my fault. And I don't have to be ashamed about it anymore. Shit. And he literally let go of that shit, like, right then. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, this is getting in. And it's doing the deep work. So no matter what we're medicating with, whether it's an antidepressant or it's food or it's sex or scratch-off tickets or drugs and alcohol, whatever the symptom, because those are just symptoms of the underlying issues that we're mm. medicating, even people that are going off and drinking ayahuasca every weekend and like, you know, they're acting like they're trying to do it to be spiritually enlightened and they're just using it as some sort of escapism. Like when... When people use these things properly for the therapeutic value, you're going to get to those root issues and you won't need to self-medicate with all of these things to try to escape anymore. Mm. You know, it's like you can use psychedelics to escape or you can use psychedelics to find yourself. Yeah. And that's where they're very, very, very different. This isn't just another Band-Aid. And when you talk about peeling layers away, I tell my, I tell our clients at the facility, you're an onion, okay? Yeah. And every single time you do another one of these treatments, it's going to peel another layer of the onion away until you get to the core of who you truly are. And mm. the answer for that question of the core of who we truly are, the answer is love. Mm. We just don't know that. We got to find that. Yeah. Because it's very uncomfortable. I mean, I know like with meditation, it's, I know a lot of people who've used it to, again, it's just like, it's the same as psychedelics. They use it to 
disassociate in a negative way or de- detach is probably a better word. They detach versus dive. So, um, cause I've had people go off at me for being an advocate of meditation. Cause they're like, I had fucked up. It just, I did it for 10 years and then, it, you know, I'm completely fucked up from it. And I was like, you were using it to escape. It was like, oh, I'm feeling this. Don't feel it versus that peeling. Like that's what I've done with, with meditation. And I love it. Like it, don't get me wrong. I'll go in 175 degrees in a sauna on my own and feel the anxiety of an excuse popping up why I have to pop out or, you know, I actually hate it when there's someone else in there because it's a distraction. I'm like, no, I need, I need that anxiety <laughs> like so I can practice processing it. But that peeling, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, and this is with meditation. I'm sure it'd be very interesting with, with the ketamine experience too. It's so weird to allow your brain to naturally go where it wants to go versus you know things going on and things that are distracting us and we're so uh we're so surrounded by distractions that we don't realize it um like i'm going to do a hyperbaric chamber um and i remember saying to the lady i was like so i just sit in a dark like in a chamber for an hour and she was yeah i go cool nothing she was well you can have a tv i'm like nah let's just fucking do the painful way and she was you're one of the few who chooses that because so many people don't want to be with themselves. And I was like, I just want to see how fucking, again, like that, the, it's weird. It's like, it's, it's this mix of in attempt to control my brain, I need to let it process the freaking out of, again, I'm in a tiny chamber or a 175 degrees for 20 minutes while watching the clock. And I'm like, fuck, I've got 10 minutes left still. I'm like, oh, and then feeling the excuses coming in and processing them. And it's funny, like the way I process it sometimes different, kind of violent. Like I imagine it as a human and I like Muay Thai the fuck out of this thought. And I'm like, I'm aggressive with my excuses. It's, I probably have an anger issue behind my excuse, but, you know, <laughs> but it's cool to see that processing. But, it, and then the same thing too, of that Jasper experience where I was going through so much shit. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, You've done everything. Stop trying to control it. You have to let them hate you for a while. And I was, it was this, that's hard. Like let your parents, let your family hate you because of a lack of communication that is clearly, you can't even solve it unless the other half is willing to solve it. Um, Yeah. I think if more people dove into it, the world would be a lot easier to deal with. But you're relying on seven billion people, eight billion to do this to do one thing. Listen, man, that's, that's how you you know. I I actually have a, a roommate that I used to live with, and he's a really good friend of mine. His name's Dan, and we used to like say like, the way that you transform the world is you get everybody to meditate for a minute together. Mm. You know, and it's like you know we wanted to try to get it happen during the Olympics. Maybe we can manifest that, get the world to shut down for a minute and meditate together, transform humanity. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is like meditation is huge for me. Mm. I meditate every day. I meditate a few times a day sometimes. How long? It, you know what? So meditation for me is just taking myself out of the equation. I love meditating right when I wake up in the morning because you're still kind of asleep. So mm. like literally what I'll do is I wake up in the morning, I open my eyes, I look up, I say, thank you. 
because I'm grateful. I stay in a place of gratitude. It's not hard for me because of all of the crap I went through for a lot of years and to mm-hmm. be where I'm at now. And then right after I do that, I close my eyes and I meditate for about 10 minutes, you know, and meditation can like literally like I'm at the point now where like I'm like big into meditation, but like I can meditate while I'm walking the dog, Mm. you know, it's like literally like I don't even, you know, when I, when I talk about meditation, this isn't like I'm going to sit with my legs crossed and light some incense and put my fingers, you know, in an okay sign and go home and you know, like, like, you know, you can do that stuff, but like you don't have to. Meditation is taking yourself out of the equation, going back to your breath, being the observer, watching your thoughts, not getting attached to them or emotionally involved with them. Mm. And, you know, and just like literally just being, you know, that's the key is that, you know, and, and for people that have a hard time getting into a meditative state, it's okay. You know, it's like you can meditate and then you're meditating for two minutes and then you're thinking about what you're going to get for the grocery store. <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you just turn that part off, say, okay, not my thought, not my thought, not my thought, you know, and like, and then go back to your breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. And like, you can literally, you know, it adds up, mm. it adds up every little bit. Let's say you get five minutes of meditation in a different part of the day. It's just being in the moment. You know, the, the, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they got this saying, and I, I use it in my life still, even though I don't really go to meetings anymore. And it's, you know, if I got one foot in yesterday and I got one foot in tomorrow, I'm pissing on today. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, it's like, it's like Ram Dass's book where it's like, you know, be here now. And, and that's what meditation is to me. It's, it's being here right now, not anywhere else, just going into my breath. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've always told people, my favorite one is when people like talk, you talk about any type of meditation, people go, yeah, I've tried it. It's just, I think too much. And I'm like, that's the same as saying I tried exercise. I'm just too fat. Like you, you're missing the point. That's why you do it. Cause I, I started doing a minute felt like eternity. Yeah. Like a minute when you're not used to it. Like I don't really meditate too much now. And it's not because I'm avoiding it. It's like, it, I just, I'm just not doing it, but I definitely do it. The techniques that I use in it have now trickled down into my life. So for example, like my baby's like losing a fucking mind. I, it's, I have this weird detachment to what's happening in so far as like, you could get my, like, obviously when your own baby's losing their mind most people are come on like their heart rate raises they, they heat up i probably would have a resting heart rate um to the point where people probably think i'm sociopathic <laughs> but um but i'm still present in the terms in terms of i'm empathetic i'm like she's got these little white teeth cutting through her gums who knows how fucking painful that is it must be like you've had a toothache imagine four things like four teeth aches yeah um and i'm just i'm just there but the people like i mean my father-in-law he can't handle it he'll lose he like loses his shit like nothing's being done because he wants to fix it right now um same thing happened during the pregnancy uh, sorry the birth um stacy's in like we did natural birth water birth stacy's in agonizing pain but i was present completely again probably heart rate was 
room. <laughs> it was like it was, it was, it was fine because I was like, I, I know again, I know what I can, can't, and won't do. I can't relieve the pain, but I can be present, and I won't try and control the situation because again, I can't. Um, like that, it, it's funny because that meditative experience with Jasper, which I can't explain, but. It's so interesting how beyond that, that was the point where my meditation started to dip off because I was just like, oh, it makes sense now. And yeah, there's times where I like I go back into it and like sporadically, but I it used to be religious. Like it was like 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. Um, but it's been quite a useful tool now to process stuff. And yeah, now I just do it in the sauna at 175 degrees. You know, I do too, man. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I, like I sauna at least like five times a week. I'd love to do that. Like I'll say, I like my. I like, want to buy a sauna. I think. <laughs> me too. Goals. You know what I'm saying? A nice so, bath. Yeah, yeah. They're, yes. the They're worse. I'll take 20 minutes in a sauna, but give me a minute and a half in an ice bath. No yeah. thanks, bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. No, like you know, like I'm very regimented. I you know I get up, I like do my meditation like that. I have my coffee. I go to work, and then literally like right after work i go to the gym you know mm-hmm. either either it, it, depending on the day but it's usually like that like we're like but no matter what time of day when i am at the gym i make sure i get into the sauna at least 15 20 minutes after i mm-hmm. work out and it's like it's such an intricate part of my journey i can feel if i don't hit the sauna for a couple of days i feel it I'm like, yeah. oh man, it's like, we don't realize how many toxins build up. Like I don't drink, I don't take drugs, I don't do anything. Mm. But the thing is, is that you'd be amazed. And listen, I eat all organic and non-GMO. I'm like fanatical about this stuff, drink spring water, whatever. But the thing is, is that there's something about we have, you know, even just from the healthy foods that we eat, that there's toxins that build up in our body or from yeah. other things that we take. And if I don't sauna for like about three days in a row, I can feel the toxins under my skin. I know it mm. sounds completely bizarre and crazy and people probably think I'm nuts, but whatever. The thing is, is that after I get out of the sauna and I do that sweating, I can feel my, like I feel cleansed. It's, it's yeah. such a beautiful feeling. And like I meditate in the sauna too, you know, unless I'm in there having a conversation with somebody or whatever. But I'm a huge fan of meditating at night too. You know, listen, that's another easy way is when people, if people are having a hard time getting into a meditative state, when you're sitting on the couch and you're messing around on your phone at night, you know, and it's like normally about a half hour before you'd get go to bed or whatever, mm. put down the phone, turn off the TV. Oh, your sleep quality is so much better. Oh, a hundred percent. But just have an eight month old. Just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, I get it. When, when we, when we built the company, Charlie, my son, he was a baby and you know, at the beginning of this, I was waking up at 3.30 in the morning every morning to go meet our first medical director, Dave, at the gym because he wanted to start training at 5 a.m. every day. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'll basically do anything to make sure that this goes through. Plus, he was a really good guy and he's a friend. But so waking up at 3.30, being at the gym by 5, grinding it out, making sure that everything was going to work out, you know, all through the day, you know, 16, 17-hour days sometimes. Sometimes I'd be going to bed at like midnight, mm. and then like I'd go to bed, and then the baby would be crying, and then I had to be up at 3.30 in the morning again. I went, I went like that for three months straight, dude. I was like literally losing my mind. But the thing is, is like, you know, listen, we can manifest our dreams, and we can manifest our reality, but like, 
you got to put forth the action. You yeah. know, if you're sitting on your couch and you're thinking, oh man, like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a rich, successful entrepreneur. Like, but I'm just going to sit on my couch and it's going to come to me. It's not how it works. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you manifest it, you put the, you know, you, you raise your vibration, you get to the right frequency you're tapped into, use the laws of attraction, and then you got to put forth the a- action in order to put the manifestation into place. So like I went into this with the mentality of, I'm going to make this work or I'm going to die trying. Mm. And, and like, there was nothing that was going to stop me. My family, like my mother and other family members, they're like, listen, like you, you got to chill. Like you need, maybe you should just quit. Cause like there, it was crazy. Like we, we did this, we started this entire company with Christina taking out a small loan. Mm-hmm. I had a Rolex from years ago that my mom had given me growing up. I sold my watch. She took the small loan and we rolled the dice. Mm-hmm. You know, like literally like no backup plan. Listen, uh, Christina's stepfather, we have a great relationship, but the one time we kind of like, we're like not seeing eye to eye on anything. And I get it. Cause you know, he's like, you know, trying to make sure the security is there and everything. Yeah. But he's like, so what's your plan B? <laughs> and I'm like, nah, man. I'm like, you don't get it. That's not how you manifest your reality. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, seriously, if this doesn't work out for you, what's your plan B? What are you going to do? And I'm like, no, no, no. See, you're not listening to me. I'm like, there is no plan B yeah. because this is going to work because this is the only thing. Like, And like, if you have a plan B, you're, you're very quick to use it. Seriously, man. Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about it. He's like, listen, man. He's like, plan B is for quitters. Plan B is for people that are not going to you know, accomplish plan A. Mm. And it's like, like I said, like I was either going to make this happen or I was going to die trying. So the thing is, is that it was a lot of, you know, tears and a lot of sweat and a lot of like, you know, by the skin of our teeth scenarios, but we made it, you know, and, and now we have helped hundreds of people get off their farm, hundreds and hundreds of people get off their pharmaceutical medications. We've done thousands of treatments at our facility. You know, we have up in the like around the 90 percentile success rate of getting people off all their pharmaceutical medications Mm. at our facility. We just got one gentleman off 11 different medications through his treatments. (laughs) I mean, like, I actually- I I love the American medical system. It's like, all right, that one is going to counteract this one. And then that one's going to have a side effect, which this one will counteract. And uh, so you go in for one pill and you come out with 17. Yeah, no. 100%. It's it's crazy, man. And, you know, and so like I just spoke in Fort Lauderdale at at an alternative products expo a few months back. And after I got done with my speech and it was about psychedelics and ketamine therapy, I had a veteran come out into the audience and he was from the audience and he came up to me and he's like, I just got off 14 different medications from ketamine therapy. Mm. And he's like, you know, and so like, I want to let everybody know that we're huge supporters of our veteran community at Myself Wellness. Ketamine's actually pulling people out of suicidal spins, especially for a lot of our veterans. I had one veteran come in for treatments. He was suicidal and he's like, listen, man, if this doesn't work for me, I'm going to take my own life. After his first treatment, he came out of it. I'm like, so tell me, man, how was it? And he goes, I turned into a bird. And he goes, and I was flying over the landscape. It was so beautiful. And he goes, and I don't know how to explain it, but everything's connected. The answer is love, and I don't want to hurt myself anymore. So we actually give major discounts to our veterans um, and our first responder community. I actually just launched a nonprofit called the Warriors of Consciousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so basically we are actually raising money to support people that can't afford treatments as well. 
you know, because of my belief that we are all connected and that, you know, like we're all in this together. The people that are on the side of the street holding a sign up looking for their next meal that need these kind of treatments should have access to it just as much as the people that can afford the treatments. So, you know, we're really going out of our way to make sure that everybody has access to these, medica- these medications. Mm, that's awesome. Thanks. The um, What's the biggest problems or barriers you're finding with acceptance to this form of treatment insurance companies if you're listening we don't like you <laughs> no you know the thing is until is, they help until, and, they help and, until yeah <laughs> and, until you change your policies then the answer is love that, yeah no i mean listen <laughs> hey listen i listen i might not like you but i still love you you know what i'm saying but no but the thing is is that because we're using ketamine off label meaning it's fda approved as an anesthetic and it's not approved for what we're using it for. And just so everybody knows, one in five medications out there are being used off-label. Like Viagra, for instance, it came out as a blood pressure medication, and yeah. they found out that it did something a lot better. So now they use it, it for that reason. It increases reason. blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the thing is, is that we're using ketamine off-label at the moment, and insurance companies really aren't covering the treatments. So like everything's out-of-pocket cash pay. And like... It's a shame because, and like, that's why we started the Warriors of Consciousness. It's because, you know, like I got tired of people calling up and struggling and them being like, well, do you take insurance? And I'm like, no. And, you know, and having to turn people away. I'm like, we donate and give away as much as we can. We have a business we have to run. I got like, we have a ton of staff we have to pay. And the thing is, is that like, you know, we do what we can, but like, you know, I want to raise like, you know, a billion dollars and transform humanity. And I know that sounds like an outlandish goal or whatever, but Elon Musk just put $5.7 billion to end world hunger. And I don't know if it ended world hunger, but if you give us $5.7 billion, we could probably save a heck of a lot of lives through ketamine therapy. So, yeah. So what's their hesitance to it? Is it anything to do with that? It's not an ongoing treatment scenario or... I'm not sure, man. You know, I think, I think that they just don't want to pay for it. And, you know, and like, and like, I'm not sure that pharmaceutical companies are blocking it a little bit. You know, it's like, I probably wouldn't want people taking one medication for six treatments that can get them off 11 or 14 other medications at a time. Um, One of the companies out there that's a supplier for ketamine actually won't even like, or they're a supplier for medications for, you know, for pharma meds and they won't supply ketamine to facilities like ours anymore. You Mm -hmm. have to, they stopped doing it. The president wrote this letter out and unless you're an anesthesiologist, you can't get ketamine through their company anymore. So like, it's almost like roadblock after roadblock, hoop after hoop we're jumping through. Social media doesn't want you talking about it. You can't advertise it on Google. I mean, it's like crazy. It's like, hey, I got a medication that will literally quit veterans from killing themselves at that time, getting people off of their antidepressants, saving lives, giving people relief that had been struggling for 30, 40, 50 years sometimes, not to mention when you do the treatment, you might meet God or something. You know, like like this just mind-blowing scenario where it's like win, 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 and nobody wants anybody to know about it. Yeah. Well, because it's not... It, they're... It's the subscri- prescription subscription model. And if 
that that is the issue. I mean, capitalism is so good. Everyone likes to shit on it, but it, that's the reason we progress so much. But there is that one part that of well, it, it also is in, it inhibits some areas because you can't get again if I'm going to get a subscription model versus a six treatment. A capitalistic mind goes well. I want the subscription model, so there needs to be something. And the problem is too, like if something benefits the global economics, that doesn't really help either. Because, I mean, if I give you six treatments, that then helps this other industry. That doesn't help me. And you know, we're individualistic. That's just human nature in a way. Um, so I don't like to shit all over it because I mean, we're all humans. But uh, yeah, it is kind of frustrating when there are things out there and it becomes not even political because it's, it's, it's dollars, but they can make it political by, you know, outlawing it and, or like, I mean, we saw that during 2021 and 2020 with, uh, you know, monoclonal antibodies and stuff like that. Like, oh, they're not available. It's like, well, they were until there was another, I guess, financial incentive. So yeah, he's, he's annoying. You know, it's like, like I, I won't say how we're doing it and it's 100% legal, but like we have to go through other avenues, like in a very legal sense and not just not through supplying companies of medication to get the ketamine. Like, mm. you know, it's like, it's like one block after the next. It's like, and then there was ketamine shortages. And, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like, wait a second, like you guys could like mass produce this stuff. There should just be barrels and barrels and like, oh, wait, now we can't get ketamine. Like, yeah. it's like, this is crazy. You know, mind you, there all of these other medications are getting shipped out by the boatload mm. you know it's just completely nuts you know and I, I don't know like you know i think that that's what more people need to realize and 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 get their voice out there is is like listen there's an fda approved medication out there that's pulling people out of suicidal ideation that's ending depression anxiety ptsd bipolar disorder ocd getting people off their opioid medications. I mean, like to any, like you tell me on a regular day, like you got something like that. I'm like, holy crap, we got a miracle drug here. Yeah. But like nobody knows about it. It's crazy. More and more people should be, that's why I'm out here screaming from the rooftops about it. Yeah. Listen, when we started this company, it's not like we went into this and I'm like, oh, yo, I want to sell ketamine to people. Like, that's not what my intention was. I just didn't want people to feel the way that I used to feel because there's no way for a human being to have to live. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, people, that's why I'm out here screaming it from the rooftops because it's like people should know. This is an option. This is FDA approved. It's there. It's legal. It works, you know, and, and more people should be aware of that. Yeah. It's it. And I think that that circles around to the, um, this whole, you have depression versus look, you're depressed right now. Um, I mean, it make, it makes you wonder how much that narrative, I mean, it's, it's a multifaceted narrative, but how much has that been pushed by the pharmaceutical companies in a way? And I don't think it's not directly like there's some sort of Illuminati pulling strings. I don't believe that. But definitely there's an incentive to say you are that, therefore you need this versus the other alternative, which is like you're not that. And here's something in six to 12 weeks that will get you out of that. That's not as, yeah, that, that's, I think that's why as well it's kind of always gotten to me where it's like, 
that whole in a way now it's kind of prideful like people are proud to say they're they they have anxiety and it's no longer brave anymore because you're kind of rewarded um that it's like i mean fuck you should see the shit i used to get on social media when i'd speak out about that being like i just you know at some point there are some times where it's just like shut up and get it done and that worked for me it was like dude shut up and get it done and all of a sudden i was like fuck you're right stop wallowing but you talk about that and then all of a sudden you get smacked with hate. I, the amount of people would just go off at me. Well, you know, it was, it, it's like if I put a label on you, like, okay, you're clinically depressed. Mm. You're clinic. you have, clin, you know, you're clinically di- diagnosed with having anxiety. Like you're broken. Like I'm going to put this label on you and you're going to identify with it now because it's going to become your identity. Mm. It's like, that's a pretty hopeless situation for like if I were to look at that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm screwed. Well, it removes all responsibility. Well, well, not just that, but it's like now it's like I identify as that. So like if I'm in a state of dis-ease, then my body creates disease. Okay. Mm. And so it's like like this is one of the issues I had with Alcoholics Anonymous. I am is one of the most powerful statements that you could ever yeah, use. You're an alcoholic for life. Because anything yeah. that you place after I am, you literally become. So people start the meetings over and over again. They're like, hey, I'm so-and-so and I am an alcoholic. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like, no. Okay, so now you're so now you're in this box. It's like it's actually a diagnosis now with addiction and alcohol issues. And I'm sure if anybody hears this, I'll catch a lot of flack for it too. But it's like, okay, so you have a disease. I have the disease of alcoholism and addiction. It's like, no, because I believe it's more of a spiritual malady. I think that there's some underlying stuff that we're self-medicating that we don't know how to process and, and we're uncomfortable or we're in a state of dis-ease. Therefore, now we have the disease of alcoholism. Mm. And it's just like it's under, it's treating an underlying issue. So it's like, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I don't do any of that crap. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and I'm happier than I've ever been. And you Mm. couldn't pay me to take that stuff anymore because I like being present. I like being in control of my body. So it's like, I would never identify as that anymore. It might have been something I went through in my life, but it didn't make me or break me. Or and, And, you know, listen, everything I went through in my life led up to this moment now. So it's not like I look at it as a handicapped that I went through all this stuff or whatever. I'm a believer that everything happens for a reason and everything that I went through got me to where I'm at now. So like, you know, there's no pity party where it's like, you know, oh, Charles suffered like this for so many years. It's like, yeah, it sucked. Mm. But at the end of the day, though, it made me be amazing at what I do today. So like now I'm really good at helping people because I got through it all. You know, it's like I got pulled out of the flames that I was once in so I can go back in the flames and help pull other people out now. I wouldn't trade a minute. I wouldn't trade a minute of the misery that I went through in my life. Mm. I wouldn't trade a second of it because it molded me into this like warrior of consciousness now where I get to go back and I get to be of service to humanity. That's awesome. I know what my purpose is. I'm here to help people. And you can't really like, like that's priceless. Yeah. I think as well, people just need to know. I don't know. The thing that helped me was, what is it? Get it like change is always possible. It's just fucking hard. Yeah. But it's possible. Like, and I, I noticed that when I was a personal trainer, I got so sick of hearing people going, it's hard. I'm like, no, it's challenging. I always have to, but it's it, that mentality is so quick. It's like, it's hard. It's not said like, fuck, this is hard. 
which is how I usually say a lot of my shit. Like a slight, slight tonality difference. I perceive it so differently as in I'm like, I'm excited this is hard because that means when I can do it, I'm like, oh, shit, you know? And I've said that uh, with like I do a lot of calisthenics now and then like hanging and doing whatever. And I, someone said to me the other day, they go, man, you just look like you're floating. I'm like, doesn't feel like it. <laughs> like in my head, it's like I'm there going, you know, like and everything is tense. It fucking hurts. But then I watch a video and I'm like, oh shit, I am floating. You know? Yeah, no, <laughs> you know. But but there's that. I I don't know. The more I sort of run towards pain, I actually feel happier. If that makes sense. And I'm I'm not seeking it in terms of like hurt me. It's I'm seeking the reward that it comes after it. Yeah. Like there's a. Uh, you can have a, a relaxing massage or a painful as shit deep tissue massage. And so you've got a choice of feeling good during or feeling good after. I'll always choose after. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it, maybe there's something sadistic about it, but there's that there's that enjoyment of the pain where you're like, oh, this is going to be feel so good after. <laughs> well, you know, listen, no, it's like it's like badassery, man. It, it, mm. It's basically like, it's like me. It's like... I work out like, you know, six, seven days a week sometimes. And then, you know, but the thing is, is that don't think for a second that there aren't days where I'm like, oh man, I don't want to go do this right now. Like, you yeah. know, I'm exhausted. I want to go home. I want to kick back. I want to hang out with the kid, my son, you know, and like, and I still make time to do all that. But like, I'm like, uh-uh. I'm mm. like, the fact that you don't want to go right now means you're going, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to do that. And then I go, I crush my workout. I, you know, I, kick its ass basically and then by the time it's over i'm like so accomplished feeling mm. i'm like hell yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's like yeah i just went and whooped that shit you know and like and like that i think that's that's important you know it's like as cliche as this, this statement is is like there is no growth in the comfort zone man yeah you know and it's not just even in working out and stuff like that it's in life you know it's like listen if i'm just floating through life and i'm super comfortable all the time i'm probably not doing much with myself out there yeah we grow when we're in a place of discomfort and you know so it's like when i started this whole i'm gonna manifest my own reality stuff and everything i'm like huh I'm turning into Yes Man, like the movie mm, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like, you know, he just said yes to everything. I was like, you know, like I'm, I'm going to do anything that uh, the opportunity arises for me, even if it's outside my comfort zone or I'm nervous or I'm scared mm -hmm. and this and that or whatever. It's like, because then it's going to, you know, bring me to a place. It's going to bring me to a better place in my life. It's going to give me that life experience. And then maybe the next time I do something like that, you know, like I'll be better at what I'm doing. And it's just like, it's this synchronistic growth. We're not here to float through things, man. I tell people like, you know, life on earth here is like spiritual boot camp. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like you're growing as an individual and the key is to keep moving forward. Don't ever be stagnant. Don't ever get stuck. Always remain teachable. I'm purely convinced. Listen, I've told you a lot of philosophies I have about life and the universe and all that stuff or whatever today. But the fact is tomorrow I am fully open to the fact that I could be wrong about everything. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really important for people is like being open-minded being you know okay with the fact you could be completely wrong about something because if i'm not growing 
I'm dying. You know, mm. I mean, I'm, I, if I'm not growing, like, what am I here for? You know, and it's like, so I think that's what the real key is. It's just like, put yourself in those uncomfortable situations. Mm. Do the things that you might not want to do, but the rewards are going to be amazing. Yeah. You know? And stay consistent with it. Consistency is the key, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and then the things that are really hard and the things that seem so awful or tough while you're doing them, the more consistently you do them, the easier they will get. And then yeah. it won't be, you know, it won't be bad anymore. It's like working out your legs. Oh my gosh, I'm going to crush this leg workout. I've really never done legs before. And then you can't walk for a week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, you know, I actually got one of my stepsons, Jordan. He's 14 right now. And I'm like, I'm like training with him and we hit legs a couple days ago and I'm like, listen. Your first leg day is the worst. I'm like, listen, dude, when you wake <laughs> up tomorrow, you are going to be in so much pain. I'm like, it's okay. I'm like, but just make sure whatever you do, don't quit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So like your next time we do legs, it won't be as bad as this time. It'll but you got to keep doing it. Like if I go on a holiday for a month <laughs> and I come back, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> every time. <laughs> for sure. But there's that, um, there's that saying from the book, The One Thing, which is, if you say, sorry, whenever you say yes once, you're saying no to a thousand things. Yeah. And so that, most people take that a negative way, but it also goes to positive. Like if you say yes to going to the gym, I'm saying no to being overweight and saying no to bad choices. I'm saying no to being lazy. I'm saying no to going to the pub instead because I'm at the gym right now. I'm also saying no to hanging out with my family. Like there's a thousand no's with that one yes. Um, But it also goes on the flip, you know? And so, all right, I'm saying yes to staying home with the family. That's great. I'm saying no to going to the gym, no to maybe being healthy that day, saying no to feeling energized. It's like they're all intertwined, but that one yes means a thousand no's. So you got to choose your yeses super wisely. For sure. And, you know, and listen, like I, you, when you mentioned that tattoo earlier, like the O over S, mm. I kind of like, this is where my, see, I used to be like that. I used to be like others over me, you know, and like, mm. like I used to kind of play this martyr role. And like, even though I couldn't like, you know, pull myself out of anything. But the thing is, is like, I'm actually at a place in my life now where I really like, and people are going to think I'm shitty for saying this, but like I put myself first. Yeah. And the reason is, is because I actually know that especially being in the healing business where like, you know, I work one-on-one with people. I get a lot of my energy out there. I try to help people. And the thing is, is that, you know, and even for my family, it's like, if I'm not in tip top, if I, if my f- cup isn't completely full, I can't pour anything else out in anybody yeah. else's cup. Cause if my cup's only halfway full and I pour you some out of my cup, I don't have anything left. Mm. So, you know what I'm saying? I think that like, it's like that oxygen mask analogy. You got it, man. It and I use first. that. Yeah. I use that all the time and tell people, listen, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first so you can stay level headed enough to put it on other people. Mm. It's like, so I think that, you know, some of the sacrifices were like, yeah, you know, I would love to go to the, go hang out with my son directly after I get off of work and, you know, and Christina goes and picks him up and they do something for an hour or whatever. And then like, you know, but while I'm at the gym, the gym is like therapy for me also, you know, like people like, yeah, it it keeps me in shape and it keeps me healthy and it keeps me mentally sharp. But the thing is, it's like, it also it it creates more dopamine and serotonin and these feel good chemicals in your brain and you're releasing them naturally. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, and like, it's like, you know, it's basically like almost like a meditation for me. 
it, it, it really is a meditation for me. I get in the zone when I'm working out, you know? And so it's like, I think it's really important for people to make sure that you take the time to do things that are healthy for yourself like mm. that. Because if you don't, then you're not going to be mentally right in order to be there for other people. Yeah. Well, that and that was the layer that that others over self, it morphed across the decade. At first, it was because I was super selfish. So I had to pull myself out of everything was about me. Um, fuck everyone else. But I wasn't even conscious I was thinking that way. It was just happening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the others over self was you know, help others, um, be kind and all that. And it ends up coming full circle, you know? Um, so the, but then it, it did end up coming obviously full circle, which was like, all right, still maintain yourself so that I can help others, Yeah, man. you know? Um, but it was like that, again, that catalyst and forever that it's now ingrained on my body of that moment in moment when i was 25 sorry 24 at brunswick heads like it's literally that moment just ingrained but it also that thing that moment in my life was so almost poetic slash like a tragic uh shakespearean thing where both my girlfriend at the time we had we went that way in terms of from that week, we went away for a week to uh, this music concert weekend thing. Um, I said to her, I'm like, we need to start shifting how we think because this is like, and how I always go, I'm like, I'm going 100, 100 into it. Get it on my tattooed on me. Um, literally the de- like the whole week, the whole week trip, she was like, that was the best. Ex- I-, I loved it. Best experience ever. The next day we get back to Sydney and now her next goal is her 21st birthday. Um, my goal is start shifting how you think. She went down a very anxiety slash depression route slash bulimia route because all of a sudden those thoughts that both of us had, it was that tipping point. Um and she was super obsessed with looking a certain way for her 21st birthday. And I was like, dude, you're, you're, you're thin enough as it is. You're thin with massive boobs. Like, what else do you want? <laughs> but it was it was so intoxicating of an obsession that, like, for example, I was once eight minutes late to picking her up. And it was a clear sign that I just don't I don't care about her. And I was like, it was that it was that and it so it was it's just it was this weird experience of just being like holy shit this is like something out of a movie of like this is where we just went 180 degrees um in terms of like the fear i had of where we're both going Mm -hmm. and she went it wasn't even like it was a gradual thing it was like just boom off the edge of the cliff and i was like fuck i'm walking away from this cliff edge yeah um and all the other ones have like progressed around here too and it's funny they're tiny but they have everyone's just like what the fuck how is there so much in that big and but i can never get like a generic tattoo no you know no. yeah i got a couple too and they're both mean a lot yeah yeah no, no, no. <laughs> i think I, I and like that's i guess the cool thing about tattoos but i, I i'm like well, a bit of a hater of some but i you know i never like vocally shit on them because i'm just like everyone has their own thing yeah 
and my ones like it, they'll always be the same. It has to be black and white, a very unique looking thing that I've specifically designed. And it has to be mental and growth related. But if you're looking at it, you have no fucking idea what it means. And those are my prerequisites. And originally I had a rule of no visible tattoos. That was like before I got any tattoos, like that was my first one. And it had, it doesn't fit to the rule. It's my last name. I want a trip to Vegas for New Year's. I was like, sweet. I want a tattoo. And ever since then, it's like, I've only gotten visible tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any non-visible tattoos. Because it became like, if I can't see them, why would I get them for me? Yeah. Because I'm like, if I'm going to put something on my body, I need to see it all the time versus, you know, again, this is just me. I'm like, if I got one on my back, I'd be like, I, f- I forget about the ones I can see. The one on my back, I'm just be like, I'll be like in the shower or, and I'll see in the mirror. I'm like, oh, fuck, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me. But um, yeah, man, this was fun. That was an hour and 45. That was great, man. That was shit. Holy no, crap. That was great. <laughs> no, that was good stuff, man. Yeah. Oh, look, I love what you're doing. Once uh, I'm I'm fully confident, like I said, because the whole visa thing. I gotcha. When she said, have you ever taken a drug? And I was like, no. She's like, her response was good. Because even if you said, yes, you have taken one ages ago, even like had a, had a hit of a spliff, she goes, they wouldn't let you in this country because it's a federal crime. She had a, her daughter went to Canada, traveled here, went to Canada, had a spliff, tried to drive back in, was honest. And she said, hey, yeah, I, I smoked one. And they're like, get on a plane, go back to Australia. Holy crap. Yeah. It's crazy. The federal man. government doesn't fuck around here. The no. state doesn't really give a shit. But yeah. <laughs> no, for sure, man. Listen, that's the one thing we get too is like, you know, like we do medical cannabis referral from our facility also. Mm. And the thing is, is that like people, a lot of people that, this is why I didn't know if it might be your kind of situation also, but like a lot of people will have like government jobs or whatever. Mm. And they'll be like, I can't get my med card because it's not federally legal. So yeah. like, I can't do the other treatments at your facility also. I'm like, oh, contrary. <laughs> like, oh, really? Listen, I'm like, no, no, ketamine is FDA approved. It's federally mm. legal. So yeah. it's like, as long as it's prescribed by a, by a doctor. That's also weird though. I can be standing like in California, smoking a spliff next to a state trooper. All good, bro. Yeah. Federal guy comes in. Hey, you're going to federal prison. What the fuck? I haven't moved. No. Yeah. 100%. It's crazy, man. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a weird country. It, it I love it. Yeah. But it, like the fact that it's, you know, I'm a law abiding citizen slash a criminal doing the exact same thing <laughs> at the exact same place. Yeah. It's like, fuck, you got to have a bit of bad luck as well <laughs> to no. be in a bad situation. Yeah, man. No, for but, sure. No, I love this. That was fun, man. And um, I'm super, super excited to see where you're going with this as well. Thanks. So for anyone listening who wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way to get in contact? So you can go to www.myselfwellness.center or we're on Facebook at Myself Wellness. Um, you know, I'm Charles Patty again. And so you can, you know, hit me up on Facebook if you want. Uh, I have a, a Charles Pat Charles underscore Patty underscore official page on Instagram. And, um, yeah, or else you can just call myself wellness in Bonita Springs, Florida. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. Make sure you subscribe, hit the bell notification wherever you're listening or watching this. Um, because there's some fucking interesting people here like Charles. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. See you later. And thanks, Charles. Yeah.
Ah, woo. <laughs> For sure. That was good, man. That was fun. Yeah.